0: Slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. I often get asked what the job of the director is. There's the obvious answer, to be the one person who has the big picture in mind, to know how everything interconnects, to have a unified vision to share with all the artists, actors, and technicians, to know what the movie is from all angles, and to be able to articulate it and answer the hundreds of questions that need answers from every direction. But there's an even simpler answer, to find, encourage, and allow the best people to do their best work. A director can't do it all, but he or she can recruit the best talent available to him or her to inspire them, to make them feel they're doing something special. I've been lucky to work with some pretty amazing actors and artists. They are the heroes, the ones who actually do the heavy lifting, actors laying themselves physically bare before the cameras, the cinematographers who weave images with light and shadow, the production designers, the composers, the prop builders, the VFX artists. But so very often, the superstars of the horror genre are the makeup effects artists. They make the monsters that inspire our nightmares create creatures that become iconic visions that chill and inspire. As great as the computer-generated effects have become, there's something so liberating for an actor and a crew to have the actual creatures or their mayhem on the set, right there, for real, reflecting light from its slime-covered latex, interacting with the characters, instilling fear in and out of the shadows." I've been particularly fortunate in working with some of the world's greatest makeup effects artists. You met the Oscar-winning Howard Berger on an earlier show. We have another Oscar winner on our show today. We worked together on two Stephen King miniseries, The Stand and The Shining, which both won him an Emmy. William Corso, sorry, but I have to call him Billy, has, like Howard, become one of the best of the best. We'll talk about Billy's life in makeup and the work we've done together after this. It's 2020 and surfing the web is dead. All the horror news you need is now just one click away. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the Internet. You'll also find deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria vault. Check out Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code POSTMORTEM for 15% off right now. From director Joe Bagos comes Fangoria's latest movie, VFW. It's like John Carpenter directed an Expendables movie, except with a lot more mutants, drugs, insanity, and heart. A group of war veterans must defend their local VFW posts and an innocent teen against a deranged drug dealer and his relentless army of punk mutants. The cast includes pretty much anyone who was ever in Something You Rented at Blockbuster— Stephen Lang, Martin Cove, William Sadler, Fred the Hammer Williamson, George Wendt, and David Patrick Kelly. Now streaming on demand. So get on it. So, Billy, you were practically born a monster fan. I mean, your whole life has been devoted, if not dedicated, to creating creatures and and loving them. Uh, Which was the first one that caught your heart?
2: It's interesting. My dad will tell stories that I was drawing all sorts of, of of scary faces and whatnot when I was like two or three. Like this second, I can hold a pencil. Um, I, I remember, I remember getting uh, slippers with. Um, I'm trying to remember what was on them, um, with some character on them, and asking not being old enough to draw anything that looked like anything and like maybe four and asking my mom to try and draw it for me just so I could have it on a piece of paper and Uh. play with it. Um, I'm trying to think of the very first ones. So mm, it must've been, it was the first thing was probably I, 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 you know, as soon as I got to school, and I was yeah. I was afforded a library to go to and mm-hmm. I and I somehow immediately gravitated towards horror books. I don't know why. Like I don't know how that jumped out at me. But I got books. It's on, a common
1: thread amongst a lot of us. It, it's amazing. Kids. Yeah. But I
2: remember having a a book on horror movies and there being a photograph of <laughs> Dracula's Castle and oh. drawing like in every book I drew Dracula's Castle. <laughs> so um <laughs> Uh, and you know, and then of course, uh, you know, I would draw. I would draw. I, then and then ultimately, that led way to Frankenstein and and everything
1: else. Um, so the Universal monsters, were all your the Universal kind of monster
2: stuff. Drunk. And and I, again, and I was quite young, and it was sparked by, uh, and I don't know. I was a TV kid. I grew up right. in front of the TV. Like every waking minute I can remember was in front of a TV.
1: Sounds familiar. Yeah.
2: And somehow the that the Sunday morning. Because you're you're just in front of the TV on Sunday mornings. Uh, cartoons were on Saturday, right. but Sunday mornings were all about the creature features, you know, right. that were on. Um, now you were born in New
1: Jersey, but you grew up in Florida before coming to California.
2: I grew up in Florida, yeah. and, and and Florida was that was you know I was I was five or six, so that was when I I, I remember physically sitting down. My my probably the very first TV moment I remember was uh, staying up one night. My mom and dad let me stay up and. Um, Doctor Doolittle was on, uh-huh. and I went to bed with this. I remember falling asleep in front of the TV, but I went to bed with this image of the giant snail at the end that
1: they ah, get okay. into,
2: and thinking that was so fantastic. That and like the
1: push me, pull you. Yeah. Oh my god! And I was like, <laughs> what
2: is this? Like this is phenomenal. And it was, and I'd seen that because everything was on TV at that time. There was right. only reruns. Like I'd never, I don't even remember what my. Uh, 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 I remember going to the movies after that, but this mm-hmm. was really early. Um, and I saw The Wizard of Oz not soon after that, and that was right. another every like, just, year that life changing. Yeah. yeah, you just wait every year for that to come back on. Um, so though th- that informed everything I did, and most of it started with drawing. It was I drew constantly, and that's all I drew.
1: Now, was your family artistic?
2: My dad was a plumber, um, and who could but it, an, it artistic was, plumber. an artistic, artistic <laughs> plumber. He was very good with his hands, and yeah. to this day, I, I'm, I'm constantly complimented on how clean I am. And I always refer back to my dad who uh would come home spotless after a day of The Plumber he, who smelled good. He yeah. smelled good. He just he would come home with a white crisp white shirt and he after lying in gutters all day long and and, and I found one day I realized his secret was he would before getting in the house, he would change his shirt and he would clean himself up, so he walked in the house <laughs> all clean. I always thought he was just spotless, constantly. Right, so he was Mister Clean. It's yeah. been my mantra to always make, dress nice and be very clean as I work. No well, we'll talk about the dressing nicely too. Uh, back <laughs> yeah, from the stand when of, I met you, lots of that. So, yeah. um, and then my mom uh, at the time was a, was a homemaker. She didn't she didn't work. Um, as a child of the '70s and '80s, you know my parents were got divorced, like m- most people's parents, right? Um, and they're still very close. And uh, but I so I grew up, so I was with my mom, and my mom then eventually went to work, um, but uh, it was more as a secretary type stuff. Were but you my an mom, only child? Uh, no, I have a younger brother. Okay, um, but my mom was. Uh, uh, Artistic in that she could, like I said, she would. I would ask her to sketch something out for me. So she had a little bit of talent, um, but nothing that I was ever aware that she did
1: anything with. Right, and um, nothing that she had ever studied no, or no, put no. time and yeah. energy into.
2: No, um, she was born in New York City like my dad, and the two of them Italians, all from New York. And, ah, yeah. and they just, uh, you know, they, they that was their thing. They just got married and, <laughs> yeah, and went <laughs> that to That was work. their career. Yeah, and my dad would be the yeah the breadwinner. But um, no, I, it's funny, you know, people always ask me, how'd you get into this? And I go, well, you grow up this odd loner. Usually, you know, you're into this weird thing. You, 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 you're into horror movies. You're into monsters. We weren't popular. You're yeah. You're, you're the only (laughs) one who's into this. And then eventually by the time I got to high school, I found one other guy who was aware of like and who was aware of, Of, you know, movies that I liked. Well, you
1: were lucky to find. I found one. Yeah. And we, and we
2: bonded, you know, incredibly. Um, but you, you're this isolated individual and and you move out to California. I, I moved out to California eventually. You moved
1: out on your own.
2: I moved out on my own. Yeah. And and eventually, you know, after years get your foot in the door and you meet other like, you know, effects guys, and and you realize that every single one was exactly the same. Right. Like, we all (laughs) grew up all around the country with exactly the same childhood.
1: I Um, wanted to do that. When I was a kid, I wanted to either make cartoons or be a makeup artist.
2: Well, uh, uh, I'm surprised, now having been in the business for a while and meeting lots of people, how many amazing filmmakers, Guillermo being an obvious one, right? but J.J. Abrams. I mean, so many uh, filmmakers— you, musicians, uh, even uh, 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 Michael Giacchino, a uh, composer, right, wanted to right. be a makeup. Yeah. So many of them wanted to be makeup artists that loved yeah. makeup effects and everything and just gravitated into another another. Yeah, it's form. part of the magic. It's, yeah. a,
1: it's, 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 it's fascinating it's, to me. Yeah. And uh, so, you came out on your own, uh, but you and I also share something that inspired us. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein is one of the movies I've seen more than any other in my life. And it kind of was the nail in the coffin of the universal horror movies, of the universal monsters and the like. But there's something so fantastic about that. And tell me how it inspired you.
2: You that When I saw, and again, I saw that probably when I was like six. Right. <laughs> <And> me
1: too. <laughs> that
2: was my, it honestly was my intro into that, you know, I could have been five actually, because I that was my, it wasn't straight out horror. So it was funny. Right. And as a kid, that was a great segue into oh my god this this was it just it it spoke to me in such a way that movie and and then I devoured then it uh, it upset me when the following week an Abbott and Costello movie would come on without a monster <laughs> yeah. you know? And, what's, what's this yeah, yeah. think well I don't understand don't they all have monsters <laughs> yeah. in them because a lot of them did yeah there was that. Dr Jekyll and Mr.
1: Hyde on there yeah was the the, mummy invisible and man, the invisible man, man. Yeah.
2: And, and it's fantastic oh. so you but those movies so and and for some re- and ever since then. I've always gravitated towards a horror comedy and things with the the combination of the two.
1: Yeah, what are the ones that work for you? Because most horror comedies are neither funny nor scary. But there's something like an American Werewolf.
2: There are gems, Fright Night. You know, there are some that are just that work beautifully. You know, um, and uh, uh, and I love it. You know, uh, Evil Dead two, Darmy Evil Uh, Dead two, and there are some that are just genius. You know, um, great fun. Uh, and I always love, I always love those. I love the 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 howling has even got fun,
1: you know, absolutely That's a it. great one.
2: Tons of great black,
1: and not comedy. just because I'm in it. But. Yeah, and, <laughs>
2: exactly. Gremlins. I mean, there's <clears throat> Ghostbusters for me. Yeah. It's a really big deal. Uh, you know, again, anything that had the 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 scary, the spooky, with the funny was that was uh, just sugar to me.
1: Well, your first credit was on uh, Garbage Pail Kids, and you worked with John Beekler, who who yeah. passed away not too long ago.
2: Uh, Beekler was. You know, and I think I had mentioned it to you. I mean, at the time, you know, Roger... Everybody quotes Roger Corman as, like, the beginning of their film career. Like, right. Roger Corman was this this fueling ground for filmmakers. John B. Eagler was, like, that for makeup artists, you know? Mm. I went right out of... I went to a makeup school, and right out of the makeup school... Which one? Uh, Joe Blasco's Makeup Center. Oh, okay. Which, at the time, was, like, the one to go Joe to. Joe was
1: on my old Z Channel show. It was fantastic.
2: Yeah. And Joe... And what what was... And what I appreciated, and, and, and they told you when you went into the school, it's like, look, you know, you're a monster kid and you want to do these makeup effects. Well, there's no money in that. Oh. You know, this is, this is not, that's not what this business is about. You have to learn how to do beauty makeup and you have to learn how to do all kinds of makeup. You know, there's, there's very little money in that. So you had to be a well-rounded, which I was all in on. I, I wanted to be a very well-rounded Artists. Sure.
1: I mean, later on, you'd
2: work with somebody ne- like Harrison Ford, and you'd never his know his straight makeup for <laughs> Not that, 15 movies. I would have movies, thought yeah. that ever. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So, but the school was very big on learning everything, and but but what was exciting for me, uh, you know, being in the school, and there, you know, there was probably 30 girls and two or three guys, <laughs> yes. um, and the three guys or four guys were into horror, and the, we, we were right. the effects guys. Yeah. Um, but Joe had done, you know, like, uh, you know, he had worked on. Uh, he did shivers, Cronenberg and, stuff, yeah. yeah and bet. he and he was very proud to say he came up with bladders before Dick Smith, you know. Right. And and he and if you look back, he did come up with some really clever things. And oh, yeah. And uh, and he loved old school makeup. You know, he loved he. You know, there he, were other. He was into
1: Jack Pierce. I know he, he used loved Jack, Jack Pierce. Recreated
2: Jack Pierce absolutely. And, and he, you know, he had a monster week you know in his course you know and a couple of the other schools that were available didn't have a monster week right. you know that was where a week where you actually did a, a like a, a cotton and latex frankenstein or right. some and i did a bride of frankenstein you know which i <laughs> thought would be really fun um so that was fabulous you know he he really encouraged that you know um so so yeah so that so i came out of that with with that lo- with that love and met I met a few guys but uh with beekler so beekler yeah. um I when I a, a friend of mine in class got a job at Beekler's and I was mm-hmm. so envious of him because Beekler did mostly really low very budget low films. budget yeah. stuff. But for some reason he employed amazing artists. I, I later found out why his work was was what you know. I my friend and I was a I consider myself a, a such a fan a fanboy a, a you know geek as it is. But I would know everybody's names like right. uh, many many of my uh, you know cohorts. You, they wouldn't know, you know, every makeup artist that worked on or every effects guy. I knew everybody's names because yeah, I would study knew the just the main guy. Exactly. Yeah. So my <laughs> friend who would go to work there and he'd say, yeah, I'm working with this guy, you know, Jeff Kennemore. And I'd go, oh my God, Jeff Kennemore sculpted on the thing, you know, and I, <laughs> and I knew everybody. And, and I'm like, that's amazing. So can I meet you for lunch? You know, I was so envious. And I would go meet him for lunch and, and I would meet these guys and- And uh, and I would I would try to bring something to show them. It's like like I made this sculpture. What do you think? Oh, that's really good. You know, and like I had no way to gauge where I was at. And how old were you when? Oh, this was when I I'd I'd moved out here and I'd been out a couple of years. So, this is probably seven eighteen, eighteen. It's right around. I was eighteen years old. Okay, maybe seventeen, eighteen, eighteen. And um, but then I found out. So so, a sculptor that was there was Mitch Devane. Now Mitch Devane is one of the the greatest sculptors in our business. He worked for Rick Baker. He worked for Greg Canham, everybody. Um, the guy sculpts like he'll sculpt the face and you'd swear it was a life cast. I mean, it's wow. just, he's unparalleled. And, and I think Mitch was there and I believe it was Mitch and Steve Wang who worked there. I mean, everybody worked there. So and Mitch had sculpted something. And I think at one point Beekler came up to correct something that Mitch had sculpted and with a fork and he just started fixing it with a fork. And uh, cause I happened to be on the desk and I thought, okay, that's why. <laughs> that's right. then that maybe that's why things look the way they do. John had a stamp, and if you look at his <laughs> yes. work, it all has his stamp on it, which is fun. I mean, those he corrects are, it. He corrects <laughs> yeah. it. He corrects it his way. Right. He put his his signature on it. Um, but yet, all these great guys were there. And and how did you get the job? Well, well, that's just it. So I was visiting my friend for lunch, and and my friend said, "Look, the guy they got painting." It's not so good. And they have to paint these eyes, you know, the eyes for the Garbage Pail Kids. And mm-hmm. I, as a lover of all things macabre, love the Garbage Pail Kids <laughs> cards. And I go, my, Garbage pill Kids, that's so cool. And, and he goes, do you want to paint the eyes? And he, he went up to Beekler and he said, so my friend's a really good painter and my ex-roommate is my roommate at the time. And he goes, and, and would you let him paint the eyes? And he goes, sure. And I said, can I take them back to my apartment? Those are all my paints. And so I took them back to my a little room and I painted these eyes in a day, and I brought them back, and that and that was that was my involvement on the movie.
1: That was it. That the was eyes. all I did. Uh-huh. And then
2: my friend told me like two days later, he goes, "Well, somebody, somebody poured up the eyes with epoxy and and did it wrong, and there's bubbles all over it, and you can't see your paint job at all. So they look horrible. I'm so sorry." And I was like, "Oh, so sad." And then the movie came out. I actually went to visit him on set, which was a very high point for me because I got to meet Anthony Newley.
1: Oh wow! Who had,
2: yeah, who had been in you know. Uh, it had been in, 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 um, um, uh, oh my God, um, uh, Dr. Doolittle, which I'm right, very excited about. So, and that was really exciting and He to was a the, singer
1: that David Bowie emulated a, early in his career. Oh my now.
2: God. And, yeah. and, sa- you know, and, and wrote the, you know, uh, Willy Wonka. Yeah. All the songs. All the songs. Amazing. Another one of my favorites. So, um, so that was really fascinating. It was one of the first sets I'd ever been on. And that was amazing to see all the characters and their costumes. And and lo and behold, the movie comes out, and I had a screen credit for painting those eyeballs. Which took me <laughs> which looked, looked hours, like shit. <laughs> my very first screen
1: credit. <laughs> oh, oh. So that eventually led you into the remake of The Blob, working with Tony Gardner on that. So tell me how that came about. Well— Because uh, that was— that was a big step that was a big from step. Garbage Pail to... That was a that, huge step. Yeah.
2: Well, I had been slowly trying to get get in with other people and, and and to shops and everything. And again, one of the guys who went to Blasco's, my, a very good friend of mine, Russell Seifert. And Russell was a, a go-to lab guy. Like, Russell had worked he'd worked for all these... Uh, Matthew Mungle, and he'd worked on Return of the Living Dead Part 2. And he was getting a name with being a great mold maker, and he's really good. And... He was getting called because the, the, a gentleman was coming to town to interview for this movie, The Blob, and it was Lyle Conway, who had just come off of Little Shop of Horrors, which, again, being a fan, I was, you know, and he had done Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, all yeah, the big hits. he handsome. was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. Uh, huge fan. So. He was coming to town because he had done all his movies in London, in England, with British crews. But he was going to do this movie in L.A. and he needed an L.A. based crew. And this and s- was
1: Chuck Russell directing from a script by, by Frank Darabont. Frank yeah, yeah.
2: And and so n- none of which I knew at the m- time, but that became a huge deal later. So so he he was gonna, He was telling me and bragging to me, and we were roommates at the time, that he was going to go in an interview for this movie with Lao Conway. And I and again being a fan I begged him if I could go with him to the interview I go well he's just interviewing people he goes yeah but he wanted me and I go well he doesn't know anybody I go maybe (laughs) he could meet me too you know Um, absolutely so he ultimately relinquished and took me with him (laughs) right and he went in and interviewed with Lyle and then and then I went in and sat down with Lyle and I you know and after a few moments of like oh my god I think you're amazing (laughs) and I'm such a fan and you know uh, not that you want to be that guy but I was and um, (laughs) And then he explained what he was doing. And he's like, look. He goes, they basically picked me for this job because the Little Shop of Horrors plant had tentacles and this blob has tentacles. You know, and that's, I have no idea what I'm we're going to do. Well, the
1: puppeteering of the Little a, Shop of Horrors of is, Audrey bar is... bar none amazing. There's nothing yeah. like
2: and it. And a lot of his thought process is what they were buying into. You know, he, he thought he could do big and he could mm. do a, elaborate. And he was very clever. One of the most amazing things he did on Little Shop was he used nothing wet because a lot of the plant, stuff was made out of uh, uh, material he put Mm. glitter on it which photographed like Ah. it was wet which was just phenomenal and the fact that they undercranked and shot things backwards and reverse and it was all this brilliant stuff so all of that he brought to the table um and it helps
1: that frank oz directed that who was a puppeteer puppeteer,
2: you know so they were all in it was all about the performer in that movie so again and lyle brought that and and so in the conversation with him it was ultimately I don't know what I'm going to do. What I'm looking for are artists who are thinkers and who will come up with ideas. And And I had no set skill like a mold maker. I was, I was a, I could do a little bit of everything. And I was, I think we connected on a, on a creative level. Hmm. So I got a job and Russell did not because there were no molds to be made. <laughs> right. And this <clears throat> which, was before
1: Tony was hired? This
2: was, no, Tony had already been hired. So it, That's a little interesting <clears throat> story. I'm sure Tony could elaborate on it uh, at one point, but they originally um wanted to go for Greg Canham, mm-hmm. but um uh they they went to Tony and said um, um I think Greg had wanted a lot of money, and Tony at that time was almost like like a, a very high up in in Greg's shop. And right. said, would you and, be but interested? But very young, yes, and just very kind of young,
1: breaking into running his own exactly. Stuff.
2: Yeah. And would you be interested in doing this? And Tony said, uh, "Yes, I would." <laughs> and so they gave Tony the job. So Tony was already on, and Tony's job was all of the makeup effects and all of the stuff that would happen to the people that got melted by the blob. And Lyle's position was the blob itself, and what right.
1: was it, and how it would do what it did and it was constantly in a state of flux it was changing
2: it was every shot was a different a different medium a different, block. A different yeah. way to do it and my, my 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 singular memory of the of the 8 months that I was on it which of course there's a thousand memories but the most important <laughs> was the first day and we you know again hadn't met frank and hadn't met uh chuck and but the Lyles we know we, we went into a sixty thousand square foot shop off of Hollywood Boulevard. And this wow. is my first big job and I yeah. was very excited and very nervous.
1: And it's a and studio movie.
2: It's a yeah. big studio movie. It's a big deal. And um Lyle was the first and I wanted to impress him, but he was the first famous big makeup effects guy that I had met. And we walked into the shop and, and there was Tony Gardner who I knew of, and and uh, there was a, a, a craft table on one side of the shop. And a, and a wooden craft table on the other side of the shop. And Tony was over there with Sean McEnroe and uh, um, uh, Sean McEnroe, uh, Sean McEnroe and um, Jack Bricker and a lot of Rick Baker's guys. A lot of the guys uh, who were ma- on ma- ma- yeah. Famous guys. Yeah. Uh, and I was, again, I'm like looking over there going, oh my, I was just in awe.
1: This is like 88, right? This
2: is, yes, this is 88. Yeah. Maybe eight, end of 87, 88. Yeah. And so then on our side was, there was six or seven of us. And guys I didn't know... Um, <clears throat> Uh, but I would become lifelong friends with. There was a guy named Richie Alonzo from New York uh, that was a Dick Smith protege mm. and there was a uh, there was a mechanical designer named Mark Atreckian who who was you know had just come from ILM and um and so a, a, a very ragtag group of guys and Lyle basically went around this table of us and said and gave each of them a job. He was like, you know, you guys Mark and and Dave you're going to set up a mechanical shop because we got to make tentacles. And our um Richie, there's a scene where the blob comes up out of a sink and grabs a guy and jerks him down. He goes, why don't you sculpt a little clay maquette of that? We can show the producers. He goes, and then uh, Doug, uh, he goes, there Greg Jean is going to be doing miniatures. Wow, uh, an who entire, had done Close Encounters. in and of yeah. uh, 1941, the, be- yeah. the greatest the miniature best. maker. Um, so that got me all excited. <laughs> and he goes, uh, there's a lot of coordination between us and him. You coordinate with him on all the miniature stuff we're going to be needing to make. And, wow. and then um, he goes, You know, Adam, there's a Dick Smith has recommended this bizarre new material, the material that was inside uh, like uh, ice packs. Methicel? No, it was called Aquapool, which was oh, this okay. weird, completely toxic urethane. Stretchy- <laughs> okay. But uh, he goes, Let's get some of that and play with it and see what it does. Um, and then it was me. And then he, and then he goes, Bill. And he goes, There's a scene where the blob. Comes up out of the sewer and and uh, crawls up to a phone booth with a woman inside, and it, it grow, goes on the phone booth, it crushes her inside the phone booth, and then goes back into the sewer.
1: Memorable. And I, my
2: eyes got really big, and he goes, figure out how to do that shot. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, uh, "What what is the blob? And he goes, I don't know. Whatever you want it to be. <laughs> he goes, come up with like five different things and we'll wow. pick one. And his suggestion was, he goes, maybe we fill up some bags of material with slime and, uh, and put some clear spheres in it so it's not really heavy and that'll give it some weird shapes. Um, and it's funny. So listening to uh, your – you had a great podcast with Chuck Russell. And Chuck goes on to say in his podcast interview that he saw some initial tests – uh, that were fantastic and amazing that we were never able to replicate. Well, I did those tests. <laughs> and and in one week, I I created a little foam core street with a phone booth and did a little test, which I shot in reverse with the little video cameras we bought. And I, and I edited it. And, and it was a little nylon sock filled with slime that I wrapped around the phone booth and then I pulled in reverse, and it went uh, backwards and into the gutter. But in reverse and in slow motion, then I ramped it up. And it would send out little tendrils and pull itself along. And, and it did all this amazing stuff, which we never could replicate oh. with the real. Because the real stuff was slime and methicill. Right. And methicill, methicil, of course, you couldn't shoot in reverse because it would leave a trail of right. Right. Um And the slime, the problem with the slime was it didn't have scale. So you couldn't mm-hmm. shoot it in miniature. It had no, it was too smooth. Oh, it didn't scale up. Whereas right. the methacell in a bag created wrinkles, and that gave it a bigger, much bigger scale. So anyway, I thought that was very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so great test. What did
1: you do in, in the blob that survived? So
2: ultimately, what happened was, and, it, and it, it's a big behind-the-scenes Hollywood. It was a big intro into how Hollywood works, which was, we worked in principal photography, and, I'm, and, and Chuck had mentioned, and, and it's true, that the large scale blob pieces were very difficult to manage because they were big, giant, basically quilts of silk mm-hmm. uh, uh, that were filled with methacel, which made them hundreds of pounds. Right. And we would try to lay them on top of things. And we, at one point, it looks amazing. We, it looks cool, but it, w- it looked very organic. At one point, we actually experimented with getting dancers from Caltech and putting them in a blob suit. <laughs> And we put four young little, like, dancers in the suit, and we covered them with this quilt, and they would move around, and it looked amazing until they, uh, until it just flattened out. And we we're like, wow, that's amazing. And it flattened out until we realized they couldn't breathe because the quilt had cut off all oh, oxygen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that didn't work. We didn't do uh, a blob suit. But um, ultimately, what happened was we finished principal photography, and... At that point, I was working literally seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Maybe mm. 23 and a half hours a day. Yeah. I would sleep under a, a table. Yeah. You know? And again, we were all doing this to impress our boss. Um, and we were very understaffed. And were you mind.
1: working directly for Tony? I was working directly for Lyle. Lyle.
2: Okay. Lyle was, again, handling all the blob stuff. Tony was... On Tony's side, they were sculpting melted bodies, and they were doing all the right. stuff I wished Destroyed I was doing, and, all yeah. the cool stuff. And I was like, why can't I be over there? <laughs> and I'm covered in, every day I'm covered in slime. Um, and then at the end of principal photography, and we, and mind you, we still had four months of post-production, which right. was all the mini- three months of all the miniature work, which uh, was the majority of our work. Right. The tedium. All the tedium, uh, um, with the Greg Jean and everything. and. Uh, we uh, a gentleman came to the shop and, and I knew who he was. His name was uh, Stuart Siff. And he came along with another gentleman who I didn't know and whose name was Mike Fink, who's a visual effects supervisor. And they called our our side of the shop into the office and they said, uh, Lyle, ha- your boss has been let go oh. because uh, you're we're falling behind. We don't think he's managing you very well. We know you guys are working very hard. And <laughs> yeah, 23 and a half hours, and hours, a hours a day. And yeah. we think that... We can help you, but we need to change the way it's all set up. And Stuart's come in to now make this more efficient. Try to try to get you guys back on track. And I was almost the only person at that point who really knew what was every shot was and what was going on. No one else. Everybody had a little job. Mine was a tier above where I was overseeing a lot of things. Right. And I was. 18 and this is years, your first time. On I was a 18 years old movie. on my yeah. first movie. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And uh, way in over my head. Um, and I remember them, uh, this guy, Mike taking me outside and saying, uh, and I was shocked. Cause again, I, Lyle was one of my heroes and I, I was, I just stunned. Yeah. It must've he been heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. And, and I just didn't know what to do and how you could finish the movie. And, and, and I go, what, uh. I go, what do we doing? He goes, well, he goes, you're one of the only people who knows what we're doing. He goes, no one
1: else has any idea what you guys are doing. <laughs> so he it goes, was that compartmentalized where you do this shot, you do yeah, this shot. Yeah, well,
2: it, yeah. It, it, even less so. It was, It was. you know, you're sewing quilts. You're making tentacles. You're. Yikes. But I was the one person who knew what the actual sequences were and what we were making for each sequence gotcha. and what the gag was. At 18. Um, at 18 years old. And so he said, what do you need from me? What do you need to— make finish the movie and i said well we need we only have two painters i need like five six painters and we need people sewing and we need this and that and what i would do is from that point i would i would supervise in the shop uh, uh well i would go to set and supervise all the puppeteering we would wound up having three different units puppeteering at the same time and i would run from set to set to set and then i would go back at night and be in the shop all night supervising what was being built for the next day um and i remember being on set and i remember chuck you know Basically, yelling at us because nothing, something wasn't working right or it wasn't pu- being puppeteered right. So, ultimately, what would happen is I would get under a table, a miniature set, you know, with these, you know, these giant cow plastic gloves, basically giving cow enemas, and put these <laughs> giant plastic gloves on, and you'd stick your hands up through the set, and you, they'd put this giant quilt of, of blob silk on you that looked, I am- it looked like intestines all turned inside. Right. Of you. It was just, and it was a beautifully painted China silk. Would painted with veins and all, and all you know, speckled with beautiful colors. And and all these little pockets were filled with methicillin. And it looked just amazing. And then you would get underneath it and you would just, you know, Manipulate. become six years old again and go. <laughs> la, la, la. And, and that's literally the blob at the whole end of the movie. And half the shots are me, you know, just <laughs> making hands. little faces with my <laughs> hand and everything. Um, yeah. And so. Senior Wences. Senior Wences. And, and that was it. And I finished that movie and with almost half dead because it was just such a. It was such a, uh, it was a real trial by fire, you know, right. learning experience. For
1: and me. you're inventing technology the whole way through.
2: Yeah. And again, ultimately wished I was with Tony and <laughs> right, doing, doing the fun what stuff. I'd grown up wanting to do. And here I right. was, you know,
1: completely covered in crusty slime every day. Well, you got, time and again, you got amazing opportunities. And probably the next big opportunity was working for Rick Baker.
2: Yes. So uh, tell uh, me how that came about. I inc- well, look, incredibly lucky. I mean... You hear stories about, again, you know, the, the engineer getting discovered on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. I My dream was to work for Rick. My dream was to work for Rick and then become like a Rick Baker artist, you know, and, and have a shop and a studio. And,
1: right. And I mean, the first guy to do that was Tom Savini. Yeah. Uh, Dick Smith, of course, on the studio level in an entirely mm-hmm. different way. But Savini was kind of the first rock star makeup artist. Yeah. Then
2: Rick. And Rick, well, Rick did it, I mean, if you think back, as far as I can remember, Rick was the first makeup artist that I had ever seen who got publicity, right. like back, uh, like Life Magazine did it. Remember, they did a spread oh, on yeah. American World in London back in yeah. the 80s.
1: And the it. first guy to win the Oscar for right. doing this stuff.
2: And, and even he got, and he was Rick Baker, monster maker, back in Famous Monsters. Yeah. Even before Star Wars, they yeah. did articles on him. So, oh
1: yeah, when he was doing Octoman. Yeah. <laughs> and so like and and, yeah. and and
2: and like ev- all of our peers, and like you, you know, I again, I grew up on Famous Monsters, and. And there would be an article on Rick, and you would see his work, and you know, and, and then you know, you go to the newsstand, and then I my like Starlog catches my eye, and you've got like Rick on the cover with the yeah. Incredible Melting Man, and and again, yes. that's before Star Wars, and before and then King Kong came out, and it was like, oh my god, and you know, so I had obsessed on Rick from day one, um, like this is a guy who's doing you know that, and again, it was easy for like again a kid like me who's growing up in his in his in his bedroom making all this weird stuff and which seems so obscure until you show mom and dad a magazine with this guy on the cover right and he's making a big movie and my dad would say well this is a real job you (laughs) could do this you
1: know it's not just kids stuff making a plumber i mean you could
2: be on the cover of a magazine (laughs) and look how much fun he's having you know and so so rick was the thing and um but i didn't know how you know, there was no unlike Dick Smith, whose phone number, God bless him, was listed
1: in yes. phone book, uh, famously. Yeah. Who I
2: did call and I did have a long conversation with. Um, you couldn't call Rick. I mean, there, I had no idea how to get a hold of Rick. You know, that yeah. was my whole, you know, reason for being in LA yeah. was to one day meet with Rick. Um, so here we are. We're we're working. The blob is finished. You know, I'm 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 now you know just trying to get, find another job and and for Halloween that next year I I uh, I went dressed as to an industry, makeup industry, the makeup, you know, effects guys, you would have these parties. Oh, I remember those. costume was amazing, right? Yeah. And, um, so I went to one of these parties and I was dressed as the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And (laughs) I'd done like a nose and i done, I thought I did quite a good job for an 18 year old. (laughs) Yes. And, and, uh, and i and I went to western costume and I made this and I made the big gnat and I made this I had this great costume and so I went to the party and and what was entertaining was the drunker certain people got the more I became the real guy we <laughs> <laughs> would yeah. come up to me and go oh my god you're really him and and I had candy I would give out candy and lollipops <laughs> and you know and I was in character you know um uh and and event- at one point in the party uh what I thought was a a like a a very scary, vagrant biker guy. Mm-hmm. Very overweight, you know, with belly bursting out and a big beard and uh, a little scary and intimidating. Uh, you know, I see him in the party and at one point he pushes me into a corner and I'm petrified because I'm a little skinny guy. <laughs> and he, he leans into me and he whispers to me, horrifyingly, oh, um, he goes, I like your makeup. And I go, uh, thank you very much. And he goes, you should come work for me. And, and I go, I go, okay. And then he just walks away. And I'm, and I quick enough eventually after my initial fright to say, well, who are you? <laughs> and he goes, it's Rick Baker and uh, left. And I just stood there for like five
1: minutes <laughs> in shock.
2: Um, and, and again, not knowing. So at that point, a friend of mine was working there. um, My same friend that took me to the, the blob interview. Yeah, yeah. um, Cause again, he was, Russell was very good. So, I called Russell and I said, how do I, I, Rick said he wanted me to interview. And he goes, well, you could call the shop. And he would give me, he gave me the shop's number. I called the shop and I spoke to Bart Mixon, who was the shop. Oh there, yeah, one the of time. the Mixon the twins. Great yeah. Mixon. And I went in for an interview and, and, uh, and they were doing, they had just started Gremlins 2. Ah. Uh, and they were doing the, they were still doing the initial design phase. And he asked me to come in and sit down and Rick would look at my work, you know, and I came in and I'm like, I presented my portfolio and, um, and, 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 Bart looked at all and I, and Rick never came in <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, well, I you know, this is fine. And, and then I, and then I left, you know, and I'm like, well, I guess we'll see. And so I called up Russell that night and I said, well, I came in and I interviewed with Bart and I go, and what, how, you know, what, did you hear anything? He said, well, Rick, you know, I guess, I, I guess Bart talked to Rick and Rick walked around the shop and asked about you. Now I don't know anybody that works at Rick Baker's, you know, right. either, except for Russell. But apparently, my reputation from the Blob had preceded ah. me, and I, and and it was that of an arrogant eighteen-year-old who was bossing people around. And and many people who I did not know said, "No, no, he's a, kind of an arrogant eighteen-year-old. Don't <laughs> hire him." And I was mortified. I was oh. like, "That's the end of my career." Like I'm, guys are saying, "I don't even know." Like, don't hire this guy. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> And and I was like, well, Russ, you said something nice, and and he goes, well, yeah, I said something nice about you, but I don't know. Don't get your hopes up, you know. So the next day, I got a phone call saying Rick would like you to come in and 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 uh, sculpt a little something. So I went in the next day, and I and I was actually let into the shop proper and saw mm. all the work and saw all the designs and, and the gremlins, too. the gremlins, so and massive. there were thousands yeah. of maquettes. Yeah, everyone better than the next, and. Mm. And you had Steve Wang and Matt Rose and like, like all these Norman Cabrera and all these amazing artists and Tom Hester and all the original guys. And, and I was just in awe of everything. And they, excuse me, they sat me at a table and they said, well, look, here's, here's some clay. And here's, here's a gremlin head. Just sculpt some gremlin ears. And I go, okay. Um, And I was nervous as hell. And I, and I, uh, and I, I, I I got a and I'd never sculpted I, I felt like I'd never sculpted anything before in my right. life. It was and, always drawing. And I well I had sculpted and I thought I would, and up to that point I felt I was pretty good until I walked in the door <laughs> and I saw everything. And at that point I felt like I should I've never picked up clay before in my life. And I and they sh- and and Tom Hester uh, was this lovely quiet. He had sculpted the full body for the werewolf lying in the floor. Yeah. Amazing sculptor. He was another
1: of the thriller man. A thriller, guys. the original yeah.
2: guys. And he, he does he comes out of the 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 crypt and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, on the ground. So Tom saw me and saw my desperation. And he goes, you know, you can, uh, you can sink these little telescoping tubes in so you could pop the ears off after so we can mold them. And I go, Oh yeah, thanks. And then, and then, uh, he said, you know, you can, and I chopped up clay and I was starting to like, mold, you know, soften the clay in my hands. He goes, you know, you don't have to do that. You can take the clay and put it in the oven and soften <laughs> it a little bit. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Um, which I then later put a giant bunch of clay in the oven and forgot about it. <laughs> and when clay burns, it creates sulfur and it mm-hmm. smells. And I hear screaming like, who burnt the clay in the oven? <laughs> so the day one, I was already thought I was fired. Um, and I, I had, by lunch, I had blocked out these really rough Kremlin ears. And I was feeling pretty good about it. You know, and they and I, I'd taken some wax and I made the, you know, like the thick part and then the bottom part was gonna be real thin with wax. And I was feeling pretty good about it. But it's still a, just a, you know, like minutes into it and I come back to my chair and, and there's Rick Baker for the first time, you know, I see, and he's sitting in my chair and Bart standing next to him and, uh, and they're looking at my, my just quickly blocked out rough piece of junk. And, uh, and Rick's just shaking his head going, I don't know. I don't know if this, we need this guy, oh, ouch. and I got, and, and he waited till I was in the earshot, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I go, well, wait, I, I just started, and he goes, "I don't know, I don't know, if we, I don't
1: know if we need." That's the Rick thing. And he, just, he, yeah. goes, and he looks at
2: Bart. He goes, "Do you sure you want? We need this guy?" And, and Bart's like, "I don't
1: know." <laughs> and he was, he goes, "All right,
2: let's see what he does." You know, and he kind of walked away, and and that began a series of Rick making sure that I didn't worship him anymore, <laughs> and and uh, and that uh, and that you know just to just to mess with me. And I'm sure he does it with everybody, or maybe I was special, but yeah, it was it was very funny. Then I finished – I literally finished them that day, and I was going to show him and show everybody that I could sculpt. And I I tried to – I looked at all the other ears, and I basically tried to copy the other ears I saw but bigger. And until then, one person came up to me and said – you know you should slow down. Like, don't try to impress anybody. Like, you, I think they're giving you two weeks to sculpt these ears, and <laughs> yeah. I was done on the first day. So that was like, oh, it's different here. It's different in the big leagues than, <laughs> than what I'm used yeah. to. Yeah. You can take your time. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that was, and that's the beginning of a. Of, I I mean, I've had such an amazing relationship with Rick over the years, and I've worked with him on six movies, and, you know, and, yeah, uh, yeah he's been wonderful.
1: Well, we first met i inherited you we we hired xfx steve johnson's company to do the stand and i didn't know you were going to be part of the package and didn't know that you were going to be the guy who did all of the work on you know a huge amount of the work on the stand all of the creative stuff and what a great time this was the the hardest job i've ever had in my life it was a year of my life um we shot for a hundred days Uh, We were on the road constantly. And when you're working these kinds of conditions, you need to be surrounded by people you can trust, A, and B, that you really have a good time with. Between you and me and Matt Frewer all doing voices and stuff, it was the most hilarious, wonderful way to spend a year on the road.
2: We had a very good time on that movie. and. I it, it it I mean to when you first came in I remember and I like Stephen King and I'd read the books and um uh and you came in to talk to us and I and I and again and I to go back to Steve again Steve was another one I was Steve Johnson I was a yeah. huge fan of and again, yeah. and Steve and I had always been a fan of guys who did work that was really just stunning like right. Rob Bottin's work is just. Oh, okay. From a design Nobody perspective, like there's sc- it's stunning. Screaming it's, Mad George. <laughs> screaming yeah. Mad George. But Steve and Steve's work, you know, his yeah. his work was always amazing. You know, he always did something that was, you know, um above and beyond, you know. And so I was it was a real pleasure um to to go and work with him and and to see his design process. And and he had a great group of guys, I mean, that were very, very Absolutely. talented. And so you came in, you brought that script in, which was like a phone book four hundred and sixty it was insane (laughs) and steve i remember steve giving me the script and saying here break this down like break down all the effects (laughs) and i and i and so i took that very seriously in a month yeah Yeah. (laughs) i took that very seriously i think i spent two weeks on and i did like a 20 page effects makeup breakdown of all the stuff that we had to do going oh my god over the course of four movies basically and it's like oh my god there's so much work in this movie but so amazing you know um And at the time, you know, back then, it was... And I don't know if we had the job initially right out of the gate. I mean, you bid on things. Like, we all... Every movie, was like we knew we were up against two or three other people. So we would just do our best. So we would initially just start making stuff, making maquettes and trying to do drawings and paintings to try to impress the filmmakers to get the job.
1: You know, I had had worked with Tony Gardner on Psycho 4 and then on Sleepwalkers. And then he was bidding and KNB was bidding. And then, you know, I knew Steve from Rick, from Thriller, and so... Do you remember,
2: is there something in particular that set us apart from all those other great...
1: It really was a meeting, not so much the work, but just it was an understanding that you and Steve had of this. And, you know, the KNB guys were fantastic, but it was so big, it felt like it was maybe a little too large in scope well, for them at, at the time. Yeah,
2: and at the time, KNB wasn't what they obviously right, are they now. Right, yeah.
1: they were small, yeah. Uh and great very talented guys mm-hmm. but this seemed so massive and steve had done ghostbusters and you know he did some big shows he'd done big, the abyss and he'd done, yeah, he's done big big he's movies and
2: he and, and steve was known and uh, to to this day i mean he steve was very known for thinking outside the box right like nothing he did was by like as 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 it's written or by the norm you know um so I I give him that. He always thought of a way to elevate something. Right. The simplest thing. Whether it be a makeup or an effect or, you know, he how can we make this better or different than this Like it's like watching a great comedian try to turn, you know, something into something much greater right. than what's written. And and so we tr- we did that and initially a lot like you think a lot of the work was all the bodies and the superflu and we right. made like sixty bodies or whatever it was you know
1: I've got um, two under the office yeah, exactly. here. exactly <laughs> and
2: you know when we did and we it was, so much work was done with those I was very excited about you know the makeups and obviously the flu victims the the flu victims mother the, Abigail the mother Abigail was a really big deal flag and all his looks and, and, and I have um,
1: these maquettes that you did of Mother Abigail and yeah the, flag right we
2: here. did tons of maquettes yeah. and again many great artists we had um, uh, norma carrera was one of the guys who sculpted i think he he sculpted the flag maquettes um, uh, b- again based on steve would come up and say this is what i wanted that right. was what i wanted um, but uh and then trash can man you know which was yes. you don't even know what trash can man is but you know like what was that going to be but i remember doing a maquette of him mutated at the end like a small head of him um those Deadpool were always,
1: certainly is, is reminiscent a of little the bit
2: can, I right? gotta say you can't I can't look at the two and not say oh, there's a little bit of that um but yes the, so there was so much involved in that and then to be able to go to set I mean look the wonderful thing about that movie well that which leads to an, an insane story obviously is is that it was a non-union movie because all t- you know back right. then we none of us were union yeah we couldn't go on set and apply things at the time, Steve was doing a lot of non union movies, Night right. of the Demons and, and a lot of things. So you Dead Heat, which were non union movies. In Los Angeles, you could make a non union low budget horror movie or something. Right. And when we started, it was all non union, which was very yeah. exciting because that meant we could all go on set and apply the makeups and we didn't have to hire very expensive union makeup artists. Exactly. Um, which then became famous for the, you know, the stand on the stand because right. at, at we're in Salt Lake and a lot of it was in Utah, which is a right to work state and, yeah. and they tried and the union came in and tried to organize us exactly, which, they did. which was just a horrible <laughs> for us especially um you know just you know here we are wanting to do our work and wanting to work on the movie and and, and it was
1: rough they in. had all come from la oh. into you know all of the crew yeah that were working in salt lake they wanted to be there and you know we were treating them as well as we could but we had Budgetary restrictions, of that, course, which we were happy yeah. to
2: work under. It was just, yeah. it became that's where, again, the reality of filmmaking creeps in once in a while to the artistry, you know, where we're here, we are trying to do all this amazing stuff, and something like that comes in and invades an otherwise blissful experience, yeah. you know. Yeah. But you learn, I mean, every job, you know, we learn and something comes along next, like, oh, I haven't dealt with this before, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we, and we all grew because of that. Um, and, uh, and, but ultimately, that the making of that. And the the length, the longevity of it, the friendships we all made, and um, I remember my favorite memory when when you and I started to bond, and because again, I was the lead guy on set. Steve wasn't really there, right? And I was helping coordinate everything. He was running his business. Yeah, he was, and we had, and at that at that point, when I started with him, he would do one show at a time. By the time the stand came along, like a year or two into it, we started doing two shows at the same time or yeah. three, and there were he would you know be stretched a little thin. So and he would pick one to focus on or whatever, and I think he felt confident. At that point, I'd risen to the point where he felt very confident. If I was there, that he was good, and and he he would come. He and he knew he would come later for the flag stuff. Like I would be able to handle Mother Abigail and, and right. uh, uh, Trash Game Man, and when when Flag would start, he would come, which he which he did when when they did Jamie Sheridan, he would be there. Um, so because that was his favorite stuff. You know, he was the more oh, creepy, yeah. scary stuff, the horns, and, exactly. <laughs> and uh, but what my favorite experience with you was i uh, to that point had been so proud of and it's just an obscure thing um and i don't know if it's being a monster kid or whatever but but um and i know how i was raised but i'd grown up again isolated in what we do but i also had like never smoked or drank or taken any drugs <laughs> yeah. i was this pure entity <clears throat> in this crazy film business yeah. and you and i started talking one day and you're like oh me too like that came <laughs> up and i'm like that's not possible. <laughs> to this day. Like, how day. can you be such a cool guy? And, <laughs> and you're the same way. And, and slowly but surely, you and then you pointed out a couple of other people that were, you know, that way. Yeah. And I eventually met a, 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 one of my best friends who's, a, who's an amazing musician-singer, Jess Harnell, who's also the same way. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, my God, I met all these amazing people who are like, you know, they don't, they don't have to get drunk and they don't have to do drugs. And which I was so... Evident, you know, like evident, everybody was doing, you know, smoking and drinking yeah. and whatever and go out partying and. I'd be the one sober guy, you know. And I, I hear you. Yeah. And I always, I always love that about you and you and I. And I was like, that was our little bonding thing. That
1: <laughs> well, the other thing we bonded with was doing voices, you know, and with Matt Frewer, all of us doing these cartoon voices and stuff. And
2: it made things so
1: much fun. And yeah. it it led to, you know, Matt did the voice of the Pink Panther after that, and he brought me into audition for them, and I got my SAG card doing cartoon. Voices. That's amazing.
2: <laughs> so good. I'll never forget. Uh, to and I don't hear. Here's the thing. I mean, I used to do. It was on my business card for a long time. Like it was, it was a sculptor, painter, uh, makeup artist, voices, <laughs> and and I thought if only for somebody to go, oh, that you know, the, the makeup guy who did voices, who was funny. We should bring him in. We should bring him in, you yeah. know, because he he added a little something, and I and I thought that'll be kind of fun, and it and it died down eventually. I was introduced to a part at a party to a guy I was working with's wife. And he said, Honey, this is the guy I was talking to you about. Uh, the funny one who doesn't have a voice of his own. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I think I've gone too far. <laughs> Maybe I should dial back yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the voices. And then eventually, uh, when, I, uh, when I got married and I had kids, you do voices for the kids and yeah. they have no idea who you're doing. So <laughs> yes. it means nothing to them. You're just a weird dad. Yeah. So I'm like, so I've kind of calmed down, but, to, but I'll never forget uh, Matt uh, you know, Matt, you know, certain people cue you into different voices and mm-hmm. I've done voices ever since I was a kid. And Matt, um, uh, uh Matt one day did, uh, Sean Connery, and I was oh, blown away by his Sean Connery, and it was such a simple, simple, and That's a the phrase. only voice we heard on the set
1: for a month <laughs> it was after amazing. <laughs> It was
2: such a simple phrase and it was, and you know and, and uh, he said, you know, it's like and he was telling a story and it was like the medicine man, you know, and Sean Connery's in the medicine man and, and, uh, and he's up in a tree and there's a giant bobcat appeared next to him and he freaked out and he said, you know, and they, and he, he wanted them to shoot the bobcat and they, it's a protected animal. So they couldn't. And when he got down, finally, he said, uh, he goes, uh, why didn't you shoot the cat? And, and they're like, well, if the cat's protected, you can't shoot the cat. He goes, I'm the executive producer when I say shoot the cat, you shoot the fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt did it so well after that. I, that's all I could do with Sean, bad Sean, Con- Matt's version of Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. And, and to this day, like I, I'll work with actors and I'll, um, uh, that I've impersonated or that, you know, that, you know, I've done four movies with Eddie Murphy and right. I, I, I used to do a, the Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy's version of other people. So <laughs> I would do Bill Cosby, but it was Eddie Murphy's right, version of Bill Cosby Bill Co- yeah. until I eventually worked with Eddie and I was asked to do Bill Cosby for Eddie. <laughs> and <laughs> um, it was Eddie's version. Of- and, it was Eddie, and I had to explain. I go, well, first of all, this is your version of Bill Cosby. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and there have been many of those and many very funny, you know, Steve and I, we did a movie with... Um, Hulk Hogan called Suburban Commando. Hmm. And in Suburban Commando, the other the star was Christopher Lloyd. Right. Who I had also done impressions of. Yes, and so I remember. I remember Steve <laughs> with his video camera filming me doing Christopher Lloyd for Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> and uh, I have in my, I mean, I look around your office and you have all these great posters signed. I have the only signed posters I have in my, in my office are, I have a back to the future poster signed by Christopher Lloyd saying, Bill, stop acting like me. <laughs> and, Perfect. and then I have a, I have a, uh, an Arthur poster. That's signed uh, from Dudley Moore saying, Bill, stop talking like me, which is really really great.
1: Well, we're running out of time, but I want to hit on a bunch of things. Um, First of all, you did so many movies with actors who want you to be their personal guy. Jim Carrey was the first, or you did many movies with him. And like we mentioned earlier, Harrison Ford doing many movies with him. Tell me about that experience because it's not the same as creating creatures but it's making somebody comfortable in a makeup chair before they start work
2: It's you know it's it's an interesting thing and it's my, I think it's a lot of it's my generation of, of effects guys you know who um, like Joel Harlow who was with me on the stand and we both won Emmys for the stand um, you know we got on movies uh, so we eventually all got in union. And we got on these big movies, and <clears throat> I was lucky enough to get you know one of my heroes was V. Neil, <clears throat> a, right. an amazing makeup artist. Yeah. Um, when I started, she had won her third Academy Award mm-hmm. for uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and had done Ed Wood, and uh, um, just just a brilliant makeup artist. And, and and again epitomied what I wanted to do as a makeup artist. Like you know, I, I eventually. After The Shining, um, and and I attribute this to you, and I, I thank you for it. But you were the person who allowed me to actually leave the shop because I had been a shop guy up to that point, and I yeah. and you you know you spend months and months in a lab studio with a, a bunch of guys, not on set, and you're yeah. not on set, or and you go on set for like a few weeks. You know, luckily those movies were long. You know, but right. Um, when this, when The Shining came around, after our, we had such a successful collaboration on the stand, um, and I thought, well, look, here's a, here's a, here's a movie again, and and at the time it was none, was it union?
1: I think no, that, it was union. It was union. I'd gotten, this gotten into this was Warner yeah, Brothers. Yeah. I'd
2: gotten into the the year before. I had gotten into the uh, the um, the, the union, yeah. the makeup union on Species, a big ah, effects movie okay. that I did yeah. with Steve. Um, so that was wonderful. Well, The shiny came along, and it's a small cast. There's a lot of makeup effects in it. Yep. And I remember thinking, this is my chance. Like, if I, if you agreed to it, uh, to let me department head it, this would be my first department head job, which was a very big deal for me and a very big step.
1: And how would I not agree to that after what had happened on well, the Well, we
2: had—yes, it yeah. worked out quite well. Yeah. And so— I asked, and I remember sitting in with the – you said, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Go meet with the producer and make your deal, and, and that would be fabulous. And I thought, look, we have one woman in the movie. I'll get a great woman makeup artist to handle her, and, and, and then we're set. And I remember sitting with the production manager of the movie, who I don't remember, and, and him saying, look
1: – Bob DeValle. Deval, yeah,
2: yeah and, he, and he said, look, you know, I have $20 an hour. And I thought, God, I made a fortune on the stand, you know, because we did just doing effects. And And that
1: was non-union. Non-union. And I go,
2: look, I'm, I'm serving as your makeup department head and your effects department head. You know, I'm giving you two jobs in one. I'll be able to oversee everything. It's a, it's, I'm doing two jobs, and I go. So at least maybe you can do. Da, da, da. You know, it was below right. even union, you know, right. uh, standards. And he's like, he's like, look, he goes, I can call just any old timer to come in here and do this movie.
1: Oh no, you can't. And <laughs>
2: and I was like, well, maybe you should call those old timers. I go because that's not a lot of money. Eventually, we worked it out, and that started. That was my first department head gig. We won an Emmy for it. Yeah. You know, amazing. Two in way. a row. Two in a row. You know, could, I got. I'll, I'll never forget. I remember getting a knock on my door after winning. And the door opened up, and there was a, a gentleman standing there with a huge bouquet of black roses. Wow! Uh, from Stephen King. I knew it, it had to amazing. be amazing. That's so great! Uh, congratulating, and that was that was amazing. I well, wish I, I,
1: I want to talk about your newest project. That as we're recording, it's going to drop tomorrow. But beforehand, we're still on The Shining. Yeah. Cynthia's here. Cynthia was the woman in room two seventeen, and your makeups on her were amazing, and uh, Cynthia, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this came about, because on Critters 2, you were tortured under a, a <laughs> Zanti makeup. The, the makeup effects artist did not take into consideration that a human being a human was being. under this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in this case, now the scariest scenes in The Shining miniseries are with the woman in room 217. Not 237, mm-hmm. sorry, but uh, 217 as in the book. So, tell me how this was different, and how Billy worked with you, uh, and oh, and Billy. created something really <laughs> unique and and comfortable for you.
3: Billy, 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 God <laughs> bless Billy. Yes, I I'd become quite uh, horribly claustrophobic, which lasted for years after doing Xanti um, uh, in, in the, Critters, Critters Two. 2. Uh, you know, there were no breathing holes, no nose holes. I couldn't see. Covered in latex. I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. I'm mean, giant, like 10 pounds of latex over my head and then shoved into this little tiny box. I couldn't even use my own skinny arms. Oh, my God. Because they
1: so had puppeted I, arms. Yeah. I
3: had panic attacks and uh, didn't think I was going to be able to do it at all. Luckily, I had a couple of Valium on me. <laughs> 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 and that and the, the assistant makeup artist scolded the makeup, the, uh, Man who sculpted it for me, he'll remain nameless. But um, she scolded him, and she scored out some nose holes for me. So, so you could breathe. Yeah. yeah, so I was a little loopy from the Valium, and I said, let's do it. And, but uh, on The
1: Shining, Billy kind of created new
2: yeah. techniques. Mm-hmm.
3: What he did for me, because I fortunately I still had my life mask mm-hmm. from doing the Thriller.
2: Well, you would also prep yeah. me. That she was very sensitive, and I thought, we have to figure out a way to film. And what was
3: great was that you had to come up with something Mm -hmm. unique. And uh, you just did little pieces, I remember, just Mm -hmm. here and there. And um, it was just so light and so comfortable. And you also innovated um, the the wonderful crepey stuff. Well, the waterlogged,
2: with, yeah, yes, yes, with Saran wrap. Saran well, wrap. We had uh, look. There's a there was a gentleman at Steve Johnson's who was making things out of plastic. So we had already been playing with plastic with creature stuff, and I and and I'd always loved you know. There's a woman in the bathtub for however long she's been in there. Okay. So you know that there's it's a bloated, shrunken, shrivelly <laughs> kind of look. And I thought, how can I do this really simply without covering her in a bunch of glue and and stuff? And I thought, well, what if we just took you know, saran wrap <laughs> and put it on her, which will get all wrinkly and paint it and maybe put some latex on it, which will turn milky mm-hmm. white and everything. And let's just try it. It was the first time I ever tried it uh, when we did. And I think I did a test on a hand right. first just to see yeah, if it that would look it. good. And, and, and I'm like, ah, it looks kind of, I showed it to Steve. What do you think? And that looks kind of creepy and cool. And, 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 and we did, and that's what we did. And it, and it really gives an organic quality to it. I mean, my Absolutely. favorite shot is the feet you know yeah. you see a few walking and it looks so it's right out of a forensic book i mean it looked yeah yeah
1: and and i wanted to highlight that too and just track those feet yeah. walking and leaving wet footprints in their wake as they go across i have
3: a girlfriend who watched the shining and had no idea i was in it mm. And she called me and she said, I recognized your feet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and how wonderful, though, that she got to play both, you know, because yeah. obviously in yeah. the original movie, you have a beautiful woman and then the old bag. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it, that was such a neat thing and, uh, and uh, easily why we won the Emmy for that show cuz that's such an iconic
1: scene. Well, and you really invented technology there too with the painted Saran wrap. That had never been done before. I don't I don't think so. And 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 now people do it a lot, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Well, Blazing I just trails. have
3: to say I was completely comfortable all day. I mean, it was a long all day. In day a bathtub. <laughs> and I wasn't even ready to take the makeup off, but while I was in the bathtub, the Saran wrap started to slowly come off. But it looked great. Even As skin better. does. It looked great. So. <laughs> you can't pay for that. That's extra. Yeah. That's good yeah. stuff.
1: So, what about the awards experience? You've won a couple of Emmys, you've won an Oscar. I mean, the respect for this work that is pretty much unheralded other than in the Fangorias and Rumorgs of the world.
2: Well, it, look, it's wonderful. The greatest. I guess the greatest gift we can, any of us can be given is the, is the admiration of our peers or our peers saying that they loved something we did. We're all very hard on ourselves as artists. I'm incredibly hard on myself. Matter of fact, the, the movie I won an Oscar for, which was a Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, mm-hmm. and again, one of the reasons why Jim Carrey had been so good to me, and um, uh, I thought... It was was horrible. <laughs> I thought, every day, I thought, "Oh my god, this is just not good, and it's not my best work." And I, um, so it's kind of amazing when when we we get so obsessive about it. People constantly ask you, "They go, what's your favorite movie?" It's certainly not a movie that I did a bunch of makeup on because I'm I'm far too critical of my own work and hard. Yeah. So the awards, um, it, 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 the reality of awards is it simultaneously brings out the best and the worst in people mm. because it does get political you realize uh, uh, when you're on that side of the equation that for every winner, everybody else feels like they're a loser. Yeah. And, and there's In that sense. part of it, which yeah. having always cheered on my friends who were nominated or got awards, and it was always such an exciting thing for me. You know, I my ego at the time was like, I'm thrilled for my friends, you know? Yeah. What a wonderful of thing. Course. When I was on that receiving end of it, the very first person that called me to congratulate me the morning after I won was Rick Baker. Yeah. of course. And and then the next call was another Oscar winner and then another Oscar winner, all calling to congratulate me, yeah. who, who I didn't hear from were my best friends. Yeah. Who all kind of felt a little slighted and mm. a little jealous and a they little with you. you. with you and a little bit you it's not. And of a little bit your coworkers. your coworkers it a little bit of a little you of a little bit of a little you of you a that. bit of a little bit of Which again, when I told my high school teachers that I was going to be a makeup artist and make monsters, they laugh. You know, they go, you're fine, and I'll eat my hat when that happens. (laughs) The the, the main gentleman was still there and, and literally introduced me and my Oscar with a hat saying, I will eat my hat today because I said I would and because he's come back to, to show me up, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was one of the amazing moments after that. And, uh, and, and it, it is a really fun thing.
1: Well, you've got a life filled with amazing moments and, and your job by its very definition is creating and it's doing something new and special and unique. Right now, tell me a little about, well, 15 years ago, you made up your wife to look like a man.
2: I did. I did. We're, as makeup artists, we're constantly asked to do demonstrations and to, to you know, showcase a product or whatever. Uh, there's a company I work with, and they asked me to do a demonstration. And I was trying to think up something clever and unique. And my wife actually had the idea to, like, you know, we had just seen Boys Don't Cry. And mm-hmm. she goes, why don't you make me look like a guy? Which I'd never seen done that well. It's right. always like you got to see it's right. Cameron Diaz with a beard, you know. <laughs> yes. So and so, I did a makeup on my wife, uh, and I made her look like a guy, a very European suave, mm-hmm. you know, gentleman. And I have a wonderful memory of of Dick Smith standing in front of her and staring at it and going, "This is amazing! Like, what exactly <laughs> did you use? and your god telling and, you you did? It, something I know. Amazing. And, and then yeah. and my and then my good friend Kazuhiro. Also stay, taking notes and looking at it and, you know, and it was just a really sweet, a beautiful thing, memory. And I have photos of it and those photos have made the rounds. Well, um, you know, uh, one of the actresses I've worked with is uh, on a couple of movies is Blake Lively. Right. And Blake Lively loves all those makeups and loves the, my wife as a man. And <laughs> uh, called me once and said, look, my, uh, I know someone who's doing a movie you have to do. You're the only person to do this movie. And, and I said, oh, really? What is it? She goes, well, it's somebody I know really well. <laughs> and you have to do this movie. Turns out the movie was Deadpool with her husband. <laughs> oh, Ryan <laughs> Um, yeah. Which had now I've done two Deadpools, and that's served me quite well. Well, that now in turn, I get a phone call from Ryan saying, uh, there's a job you have to do. And it's with a friend of ours, and you really need to do this job. And I go, well, we're right in the middle of prepping Deadpool 2. I'll make time for you. Like you have to do this job. And it turns out it was uh Taylor Swift's new video for her first album that had been out in a couple of years. And we did a, a zombie makeup on her. And, and for me, it was, it was very exciting. Cause again, been having been too young for thriller
1: yeah. and
2: having done thriller makeups on myself and all my friends, this was my way of doing a thriller makeup on a very famous musician for a big as
1: famous as it gets and
2: and and yeah and at the time and when it came out it was like the number one video in the world for that week or whatever well lo and behold uh, a couple of weeks ago i get a call from an email from uh taylor swift's company saying taylor (coughs) is doing a new video and uh this is what she wants to do and they send me a picture of my wife as a man (laughs) (laughs) and say her whole concept for this video is her as a man, and she's loved your makeup so much. That's what she wants is you to wow. do that on her. So uh, for those who uh, you know, it drops tomorrow. But for those of you who get this or are listening to this podcast now, it's already been out. Right. And um, and it was such a treat to be able to do this. And she was so appreciative and so excited. And she and directed the video. She directed the video, and and for her, it was such a thrill. She when she did that when we did the zombie makeup on her she honestly said this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. Wow. She goes I could wear these makeups all the time like this wow. was so exciting for me. And we did a very similar to the to Cynthia's makeup, you know, we did a full body with the feet
1: and everything. Right. Um
2: and it's in the video for like, you know, like <laughs> like 7 8 yeah, seconds. Yeah, but it looks amazing. It's very fun. Yeah. Um and so for the man video it's the entire video and uh and she was again so funny and um, I can only assume it's going to get a lot of attention. Uh, her being who she is, and it being kind of a controversial song, how men get away with everything, and, right, and, right, uh, and her play, playing. I mean, there at was that.
1: a performance video that came out first. Yeah, then she it,
2: she teases with a couple of like yeah. little things that like you know maybe it's this maybe it's this but yeah. here's the real thing so. the real deal. Yeah,
1: Billy amazing having you here it's been way too long since i've seen you thank you so much for sharing your stories and we got to do it again because we're only halfway
2: we do we yeah we all, only the tip of
1: the iceberg yeah, <laughs> and but, cynthia <laughs> thank you for your cameo pleasure hey, you. pleasure seeing the both of you for some, oh, after so long. thanks for everything and can't wait to see what's next Okay, I spoke too soon. You have a couple of stories about Stephen King that we have to share. So let's go over time a little bit. Uh, The hell with schedules. Uh, Tell me. you got a couple great King stories. Because,
2: again, being a huge Stephen King fan, I know he was on the podcast. I know he was, and he's so wonderful, and we have such a history with him. Um, We were doing The Stand, and there was a point where we shot a sequence with Mother Abigail, playing guitar on her porch and she looks out and sees this vision of randall Flagg, the walking dude in the in the in the cornfield and as she's she's playing the guitar her hands start bleeding and i wanted to see how that effect looked you know because we had prepped it on the day and everything. and i came to you and i said there is there any way i can see dailies and you and you said well i actually think steven has a copy of the dailies and they're in his trailer you should go Check and see if you know you can go go watch. Tell him I said you should go watch him. So I go knock on Stephen King's trailer door, and he and le, and like you, it's he had been there the entire time. Yeah, and one of the few movies that he has done that on, and, yeah. and even more well. on The
1: Shining. Yeah,
2: and so I knocked on the door, and Stephen answered the door, and he was so lovely with us. And and I said, do you, is there any way I could take a look at the shot of Mother Abigail? And he goes, Yeah, come on in. <laughs> and so I sit down with you do Stephen. a King impression. I too. I sit yeah. down with <laughs> Stephen on the couch and he cues up that scene and and we're watching and again it's footage so it's take after take after take right. of her bleeding cuz <laughs> she's playing and and I'm like yeah yeah and I'm technically looking at it like oh yeah the blood's coming out good and we see it really good and, oh there's a splash on the guitar that's good and and I look over at Steven and Steven just goes you guys are gross. <laughs> That's disgusting. It was and, your idea, <laughs> and, I, and I literally looked at him and said, "You wrote it." <laughs> you know, so, a- again, going back to we're all squeamish, you know. <laughs> but here's the master of horror himself, you know, for sure. Um, and then Mike, then and then the the even better and the uh, the more amazing story is we were shooting on The Shining at a, the Denver Airport. Oh yeah, and and we were shooting in the 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 center of the airport where there were all the shops, you know. And I forget it was like one of Weber or somebody, or uh, maybe it was uh, uh, Melvin. Man-Peoples. Melvin goes
1: to Melvin uh, goes, yeah.
2: And so uh, we had a break between shots, and I walked over to the bookstore because I'm always in a bookstore, and I'm I go over to an, and find the Stephen King section, <laughs> which there is in every bookstore. Yes. And Stephen walks in, and I go, Hey, Steve. I go, I found your section. I go, come check it out, see what they got. And he walks over and he, I don't know if he does this, he but he does. walked over and he put, picked out every book and signed it. Yep. He had a marker and he signed every single book. And I was just amazed. And the people behind it, because it was still open, kind of, you know, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the people who owned it were still in there and they were shocked and were so excited. They probably took all the books. <laughs> yeah. He does that. So he was fabulous and he signed every book. Well, then we left, and he and I are walking together. And there was a McDonald's across the way that was open, and a lot of crew members were in in line. Right,
1: it was and better I, than the catering. Yeah, it was better. <laughs>
2: and I said, "I'm going to go get some French fries," and uh, and he goes, "I'll come with you." So he, we walk over together, and he and I are now standing in the back of this line, of maybe seven people. And he goes, "You know, this makes me think of a, of an idea." And I go, <laughs> oh, "Really? What's the idea?" He goes, "He goes, let's say." He goes, you've got a McDonald's. Let's say you've got a guy, our hero, and he's driving down the freeway on a deserted freeway, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and he sees a McDonald's. Like you see, you know, a sign to get off the freeway and go to the McDonald's. I go, yeah, and we move up a person in line, and he goes, well, the guy, the trucker, he's a trucker, he pulls off, and he sees the McDonald's, and he sees that the drive-through is too full, so he's going to park and walk in. We, we move up a person in line. <laughs> so he goes now, and you could see the wheels turning in his head because it's, he's all just coming up with it as we're getting close to the window. And he goes, he goes, so now our guy, the hero, he goes, walks in the McDonald's and he notices a big, scary looking trucker guy with a little kid. And he doesn't really think much of it. And he goes up and he orders his French fries and his Coke. Then we move up another person in line. <laughs> now we're like one person behind, you know, the 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 writer to order. And he goes. So now he w- gets his fries and he walks back and he looks down. He happens to look down at the kid as he's walking out the door. And he looks down on the table and he sees that the child has written help me in his french fries and we walk up to the register and and i look at him and he goes what does the guy do and i and i'm like oh! <laughs> i was like i was like immediately i had chills and i'm like oh my god and the lady's like what would you like and i got
1: <laughs> and that was it
2: and he yeah. just he just as we're standing in line he came up this thing and he goes he goes what do you think what would he do Like, <laughs> he That's goes awesome. interesting right and i go yeah um
1: Okay, yeah. those were stories worth <laughs> worth uh, making time for. Billy, again, thanks for joining us on Postmortem and can't wait to the next time. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets, or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter, or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's @mickgarrispm on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making-of documentaries, and audio books of some of my short stories, go to my website mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other
2: Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.